Heavenly Father, we bow before you as workers in the field, reaping the harvest of your word. We have come together with joy this Sabbath day, asking you to accept our service of worship. May your spirit move among us and open our eyes to your goodness. We look forward to hearing your word, and we are reminded to reach out to those who are hungry, those who need to taste what you so richly provide. We give you songs of praise, and our words of worship come from the heart. Almighty God, we listen for you, for your direction in our lives. We desire to be your people, who live, in, who live servant lives of joy and sharing, lives directed by the example of your Son, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. It's been said that the purpose of life is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That sounds pretty good, but if you think about it, you realize that you really can't wrap your mind around that definition. At least that, that definition is too big for me. It goes over my head. I'm not sure I understand what it means. Saying that my purpose is to glorify God is true, but a statement like that about life is it's beyond my comprehension because it says that the quality of whatever, whatever I do in my life is determined based upon a God-word approach to everything that I do. My problem is that God's ways are higher than my ways. I need something more tangible. Something that my mind can get a hold on. Tell me something practical. Tell me what activity in my life I'm supposed to do. I can deal with that. Doing what God wants you to do is your greatest goal in life. That's what we defined last week. It's the greatest thing that God has for you to do in your life. Other people may be more famous. They may be called to heroic duties that reverberate through history. Yet what we accomplish in our ordinary, common lives by doing God's will is just as great in God's eyes. The best that we can do is to do what God wants us to do. The greatest life we can lead is when we do God's will, where we live, here and now, in a faithful, obedient manner. But is it even possible to do God's will? How can we ever know what the will of God is? Well, for most people, God's will seems to be something very mysterious. It seems that other people know God's will, but you think, that's not possible for me. 
My nature is different than all the other people. I've thought about it and I've prayed about it, but God hasn't revealed his will for me. You feel like there have been times when you were in line with God's will back in the day. But that was just by chance. You seem to remember a couple of occasions when you were near, near to the will of God, but you're not really sure. You say, God doesn't show his will, his will like that every day, once or try, twice, perhaps in a lifetime. That's the most that anyone can dare expect, right? No. So let's talk about it. If it is true that God's will is impossible, then there is no use in searching for God's will. Really. If it is true that God's will is too mysterious to know, then you might as well give up trying to know God's will because the life God wants you to live will never be found. You will never know what he wants you to do if God's will is really that mysterious. That, brothers and sisters, is way off base. It is presumption based upon feelings. Feelings always get us into trouble when it comes to theology. Feeling that you cannot know God's will is not based upon what God has created and revealed. The assumption that you can't know God's will creates the false idea that we are not responsible to know his will for our lives. It also suggests the idea that God could teach us his will if he wanted to. After all, he has done it at least twice by your own admission back in the day. But you say, God won't tell me what his will is. Wrong again. We really should not be in the, mood, in the mode of accusing God. It's illogical and highly unreasonable to think that it's hopeless to ever know God's will. In fact, I submit to you that it is an absurd idea to believe that God keeps us in the dark as to what he wants us to do. Listen or read the words of the Apostle Paul from his letter to the believers at Colossae. This is the second time we've read this verse today. For this reason, also, since the day we heard of you, this is Paul and his entourage, your faith in Christ Jesus, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Here's Paul telling the church folk, he's praying for them to know God's will for their lives. We are called to salvation. We are comfortable with that knowledge. We are called to holiness. 
we are comfortable with that as well. We are also called to know God's will. We should be comfortable with that concept as well. We should have a reasonable expectation that we can know whether or not we are in line with God's will. When difficulties ar arise in life, we should have certainty about the path God would have us take. We have assurance of our salvation. We should also have assurance of God's will. These two assurances go hand in hand. The loss of assurance of salvation results in the absence of peace and faith as well as resulting in a loss of usefulness in the kingdom. Similarly, the absence of assurance of God's will results in depression. What am I supposed to do, God? It also results in impaired Christian behavior, character. Your character is damaged. And again, results in a loss of usefulness to God. So having said all this, now I want to quantify your understanding concerning God's will. I can say with a fair amount of certainty that you already know at least two-thirds of God's will for your life and that estimate is probably on the low end. Well, let me explain. The first third of God's will that you already know comes from God's natural laws. God has created our world and humankind with natural laws that are universal. And it is his will that you live within these laws, these natural laws. If you want to have a life pleasing to God, you will live within these natural laws. What am I talking about? Laws for living a good life, like the law of moderation. Common concept in scripture, there's the law of cleanliness, there's uh, the law of exercise. How about the law of sleep? <laughs> what happens when you don't get enough sleep? Yeah. And there's another, there are plenty of natural laws. One natural law that I prioritize, and this is the law that most Americans neglect, they totally ignore. This is the law of healthy eating. It is God's will that we eat natural foods that enable the human body to avoid sickness and to heal itself. It's the way God designed us. The truth is that God's will does not begin by attending church or becoming involved in a particular ministry. The starting focus for doing God's will begins at home. It starts with the discipline you live by in your natural life. It reaches down into the way you care for this earth, 
It reaches down, reaches down into the way you care for your body. After all, your body is supposed, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are expected to take care of it. God's natural laws are the beginning of God's will for you. If you want to understand God's will for your life, then you need to respect His will for you in your physical body and in your natural setting. The second third of God's will for your life is also something that you already know. This is God's moral laws. God's moral laws are an important matter, just as important as his natural laws. God's moral laws are often misconstrued by religious people. Religion tends to elevate moral laws to such a high level that they scare people or they frighten people into never ever to never even attempting to know God's will for their lives. And on the other side of the coin, there are the secular groups who lower God's moral laws to simply become a set of human standards, separate from any expression of God's will. The first part, and a major part of God's moral law that he wills for us to follow are the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments form the strictest code of true morality the world has ever known. This is of course true because we believe that the scriptures were inspired by God himself, written by the finger of God. The Ten Commandments are the most unique set of moral constructions, instructions ever written. They are a complete and loving expression of the will of God for his people. What comes after the Ten Commandments? The Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, as explained by Jesus, are a portion of scripture that describes God's will for the way we live our lives. The Ten Commandments were passed to us through the heart of Jesus, and then he explained them to us in person and expanded upon them as he told us what they really mean, how they apply to our lives. The focus of God's will for his people is not about the penalty of failure to keep his laws, but to the more positive expression of love for living one's life in a manner morally consistent with God's will for our lives. The Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes comprise most of God's laws, which, which express the moral part of God's will for mankind. We know that in Scripture there are other shades of these moral laws throughout the, the, New, the New Testament. Shades of these laws that also express God's moral will for our lives. How's that? Jesus is the example for morality. 
His life and his words tell us that it is God's will for us to live with empathy, for us to live with compassion. Sometimes it's argued that living with the Ten Commandments as our guide and Jesus as our model is more than can be expected. And taken as a whole, sadly, out there, our me-first culture certainly does not embrace the Ten Commandments as part of life in our modern society. In fact, I, I, I believe that our modern society rarely considers God's moral laws in their daily activities, taken as a whole. They say no one can really fit God's moral laws in their activities and expect to get ahead. That thinking is just wrong. Did Jesus really mean what he said when he taught us to pray, thy will be done on earth even as it is in heaven? We pray it every Sabbath. Did he really mean it? He meant it. Jesus knew that God expects us to know his will. God's holy will has been given to us. Jesus was so sure that we can follow God's commandments that he said this, if a man loves me, he will keep my words. That's pretty straightforward. There are a lot of good reasons that God expects us to follow his will by keeping his moral laws. First, he is our creator. We are his people. Because we are his creation, we should be following his laws. And we like his laws. Only the criminal element of society dislikes God's moral laws. However, not only do we like following his laws, we love his laws. We respect God's laws. And we see that by following them, it is a privilege. And obeying God's laws is not a burden. Rather, obeying his laws is a commitment that draws us closer to him. It's personal. We desire to do what pleases God. But it gets even better. We saw this at Bible study on Wednesday night. God responds to our personal commitment by loving us. God taught, teaches us through his scripture that where he is, his love is. Apostle John wrote, Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. There are two ways 
we can, there are a number of ways we can look at um, God's will. One way is looking at God's love. When we look at God's love, we end up focusing on his moral law. The law of love results in triumph, obedience. But if we, if we get totally focused on law, like religion does, then we will end up in despair. Rather, the law of love results in liberty, religion, being focused on do's and don'ts, results in living a life based on bondage. So let's move on. Turn our attention to the remaining <laughs> third of God's will. So far we've looked at God's will revealed in his natural laws, like the law of moderation, the law of cleanliness. We looked at God's will revealed in his moral law, written down on stone tablets, but preached by Jesus himself. The remaining third of God's will for our lives is the part that most believers think of when they consider God's will for their lives. But now we understand that God's, this last third, what we normally call God's will for our lives is only one part, this final third. And you will never get to know this final part until you get a handle on the first two parts, God's natural laws and his moral laws. You see, the final part is something special to you and you alone. It's just as important as the first two parts. It's the part where people have their steps ordered from above. It's private. It's between God and you. You want to know what to do next. You want your next activity in life to be the activity God wants you to do. And you ask God in your prayers, Lord, what would you have me do? And that's saying something. Not only is the third part of God's will for your life private, but it's also marked by action. The first part and the second part of God's will, all that has gone before affects your character. But the third part of God's will affects something even more. Because this part <laughs> affects your career what you do in life as your career. This part is God's particular will for your life. And this part is particularly important because this is where you live out your character. Since the purpose of life, your purpose of life is to do God's will, then it follows that God's 
God has a will for your career as well as your character. And this is not isolated either. You're not living in a vacuum. It's not a vacuum, vacuum because you're living in this world. You live your you live God's will for your life while you are living your career. It's sort of where the rubber meets the road, where God's will for your life touches your world in a real way. God will want to use you. You may not know how, when, where, for whom, but be assured that God will want to use you at some time or place. So we hold ourselves ready and we let him trace the path for our lives. There's a story in scripture about a man whom God used in a particular way. Perhaps only once. Maybe he did many other things, but there's one activity that seems to have overshadowed all the other things this man may have done. It's the only mention we have of him in scripture. He was busy doing God's will by building God's ways into his own character. His name was Ananias. He lived in Damascus. Why was he in Damascus? Maybe he was born there. Maybe his father was born there. He was a good man. He sought the Lord's will for his life. He was seeking to follow God's will. And then one day, God directed him to be the instrument in the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who had been actively persecuting the followers of Jesus. Because Ananias had God in his character, he was able to put God in his career. His priority had been doing God's will by following God's natural laws and by obeying God's written laws. But then when the time was right, God used him to make a difference. God wants to use you in a particular way as well. He has a plan to use you, but first you must learn to follow his will by allowing yourself to take on his character. And then you stay ready because God's will in your working life is often unexpected. <laughs> Surprise. But don't be alarmed. It's actually a wonderful privilege that God chooses to use us for a particular purpose. And don't think that you are too old or too committed to your profession. 
What matters is that you are committed to do God's will. Whether you are old or young, inexperienced or experienced, <laughs> it doesn't matter. God is looking for followers who are committed to following his will. How are you to know God's particular will for his life, for your life? That's a great question. And considering today's message, we need to continue exploring this question. What is God's particular will for your life? You already know two-thirds or approximately two-thirds of God's will for your life. So I will have to leave it there today by saying, let this be sufficient, what we read in Scripture. A powerful verse written by the psalmist that tells us that God's particular will can be known. Scripture tells us the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So until we continue, amen, hallelujah.